Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 47. It is good to be with you once again. Slowly but surely, live theater is making a comeback. Uh, As I'm recording this introduction, it's opening night for the musical Ring of Fire in my area, and my wife is playing violin for that uh, in a in a pit. So it's it's happening. It'll take a while before we get back to 100%, but it's just great news. Just a few reminders. If you're not already, please be sure that you are subscribed to this podcast wherever it is that you stream or download it from. Uh, that way you know right away when there's a new episode which happens every friday it's also very helpful if you haven't already to leave a five-star rating leave a review if you feel so inclined and you can also share that with your friends share this episode or any of the episodes that have been your favorites Um, you can also head over to davidlanemusic.com slash podcast where you can find all of the episodes um you can also click that donate button if you feel like giving to the show. That's the only source of revenue. And also you can leave feedback. That feedback might be praise. It might be criticism. Speaking of criticism, uh, one of the messages that I got fairly early in the podcast, um, I guess after well, I say fairly early, I think we had about 20 episodes uh, under the belt. And it was that the listener was wishing that we could have more stories. And it just seems like, uh, I think, to paraphrase the message, some of the juicier bits of what goes on in the pit was not being brought out enough. And that as an interviewer, I should do a better job of bringing that out. And I've had that in my mind. I hope the person that expressed that is going to check out today's episode. Because... This episode is full of stories. Stephen Zumbrun, and Stephen, I apologize if I butchered your last name. Um, I forgot to get a a reference recording of the pronunciation, so you are Zumbrun today. But anyways, Stephen. Stephen is, uh, he refers to himself as an itinerant music director. He has been the resident music director in Columbus, Georgia, in uh, Pennsylvania, in uh, for a production for a company in Nebraska, uh, for a company in New York, he has done bus and truck tours all over the all over the states as well as parts of Canada. We're going to talk about a lot of that. Um, also, he's from Maryland. He's played in that area. He's a keyboardist. He's an organist, and um, a lot of the places that he's gone to have not been just the big cities, but really small towns, and. We he has so many stories, and in addition to that, besides having a background as a musician, he also has uh, some English studies in his background as well. And it shows he's well read, he's very eloquent, and uh, this was just a super fun conversation. And just so many stories of theater on the road in all these different states and. Uh, all these different towns. Um, this is just, this is basically adventures in theater. Uh, and it includes a flood and a bus crash. And, um, well, I won't say anything else. Let's just hear it directly from our guest. Here's my conversation with Stephen Zembrun. Stephen, thank you for taking time to interview with me today. Oh, it's it's no problem. I mean, I'm still <laughs> it's still a pandemic, so I <laughs> right. So you've you've been immersed in arts. When did you start playing an instrument? Playing um, that was, I think, kind of a trick. Actually, is uh, my my brother was actually taking uh, piano lessons, and I went along. I was about six. Mm-hmm. I went along to a lesson, and um, it was given by. Um, and Mrs. Chikino, she was like an elderly lady just giving lessons in her uh, living room. And someone said, well, why don't you sit down and, uh, and you try it? And I did. And then I ended up taking it up. And my brother, uh, he got as far as like Boogie Woogie Boogie, Woogie Bugle Boy. 
mm-hmm. and um, that was enough for him. And then he, he eventually became a drummer. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I, I carried on. And um, and after a while, I was I was nagging her to let me uh, like I was getting vocal selection treasuries and nagging her to let me uh, you know, practice stuff from Chicago or uh, you know, chorus line. So in addition to Beethoven and Mozart and I, I love all music, but that was you know what I was already gravitating towards. And uh, right. So. So, uh, yeah, from six on was just like, uh, you know, constant piano lessons. And, um, and as I said, uh, you know, my, I started taking tap classes for my mother mm-hmm. um, and then uh, someone else in the same studio as her started taking uh, my brother and I started taking singing and acting lessons from her. Um, and all this time I was, uh, again, doing what I guess a lot of us do. Uh, I was raised on the old MGM musicals and, mm-hmm. uh, uh and Broadway musicals and such. And, and so, yeah, really it was, it was, it was kind of heady. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, very remarkable and wonderful and not typical childhood, but, um, uh, and then, and, and in between all this, I was sort of fell in love with reading those, uh, those scholastic book fairs where right. you, um, <laughs> in school where you okay. lug home just towers of, you know, of paperback books and, um, now you introduced yourself to me as an itinerant music director, and and sh- and, and truly you've you've been all over the place. So, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in it's called Hampstead, Maryland. It's kind of a suburb of Baltimore, uh, okay. and it, it's out in the country. Um, I was um, I had a very sheltered, you know, it was Lutheran country as yes, Lutheran upbringing. Right. And um, yeah, Baltimore was like the, the sin city that you went to if you absolutely had to. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was, yeah, I was brought up you know, way, way out on the sticks. Um, and then I became, um, when I was uh, 16, 17, I, uh, well, I started taking organ lessons as well from another elderly woman right. uh, in her living room. And uh, that was either 16 or 17, I became a church organist. Right. And, uh, and that was, that was my living for a little, well, partial living for a little while. It was also temping and doing office things, but, um, right. So, um, yeah. And that was, you know, through, through college. Um, yeah, I yeah. was, you know, unrelated to the pit being a church organist has become kind of a valuable skill. Um, I mean, you know, it's true that the number of churches looking for an organist have gone way down, but the supply of organists that have trained for it has probably gone even further down. So, uh-huh. so it's like, uh, yeah. And yeah, that, that's, that's how, that's partially how I've been surviving. Right. Is, um, I've just been recording, uh, virtual services for, for two churches, um, right. Two local churches that I've been yeah, recording services for. And, um, yeah. You, and yeah. Uh, you know, so I hesitate to say benefit, but you know, uh, you could not work for two churches at the same time in normal times. But you know, yeah. being a pandemic when you can't worship, uh, you know, in in person, you know, I'm just during the week and on different days. I'm yeah, actually. <laughs> right. You know, this just occurred to me as we're talking. Um, you know, talking about you know, this is life in the pit. Talk about theater mm-hmm. experience. Well, one of the original pit instruments was the organ. And in fact, uh, you know, I live in the Greensboro, mm-hmm. North Carolina area. There's the Carolina Theater, and it's got a huge theater organ. In fact, uh, you know, I watched a Laurel and Hardy short film with the live accompaniment, you know, mm-hmm. there. It was, it was pretty neat. But uh, they used to have the Wurlitzers, you know, organs that oh, yeah. in the silent um, films day. And, and that was a special skill if you could operate that. <laughs> Well, I've seen. I love that you said that actually, because um, on tour, um, I've seen a, a. I mean, a lot of theaters still have those organs, mm-hmm. and um, there are a couple uh, where I've um, where they they play them. There's there's one uh, in St. Louis where it comes. No, it's not St. Louis. I'm sorry. It's right. <laughs> they all blur together after a while. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's fun. It's it's in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I'm sorry, right. yeah, Columbus, Ohio. But, um, where it actually like. Uh, rises on a mini elevator out of the pit and uh he does like an organ concert uh right. before every show and i i talked to him afterward and uh he he plays for, he plays for silent movies and people still exhibit 
silent movies with the original scores right. and so forth. And he actually like tours and makes quite a living doing that because all they were, you know, and I've seen so many of those, as he said, so many like just beautiful, beautiful organs in, um, right. in so many old theaters. And it's, well, it's also gotten me used to um, uh, now that with, with, you know, organ, you know, with, with pits slimming down and so forth and so, and so many things being synthesized, you know, that right. technique, just helps a lot when you're playing, you know, because you can't play a synthesizer like a piano if you're you know, right. trying to ape like French, where you have to roll your fingers over the keys like you would in an organ. Right. Uh, so that technique definitely definitely helped. I have I have limit limited organ experience, but I was I was uh, working on it a few years ago, going through kind of um, uh, some some old method book, you know, like like when I when I mean old like. It's like nineteenth century. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't remember what what the what it was called. John Thompson teaching little fingers to play. No, not that one. <laughs> yeah. It predates that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it was it was pretty good. It was getting the feet independence, and uh, and it also did a lot that of is finger, the hardest thing. Yes, yes. And then a bunch of finger substitution exercises, and I practiced that for about a full hour, and I got up off the organ, and it was like I was getting off a boat. <laughs> it's just like I'm I'm dizzy and everything's kind of feels strange, you know. So it's it's a very strange sensation. <laughs> it is, it is. Especially when you first try to use the pedals and coordinate. I, I actually almost burst into tears. Right. The first time I tried to to play, you know, the pedals and the, at the same time, you just right. You said you get yeah. You said you get seasick. You get or you feel like you've been bopped on the head or something. So right. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's a different technique. So, what was some of your first experiences in theater as a musician? Um, as a musician, well, I actually started out um, performing. Okay. Um, as I mean, as an as an actor, as right? A, uh, I um, like the our our community theater. Um, uh, I mean, my first experience, I think, was uh, I was in the musical Babes in Toyland. I was like eight years old. And uh, uh, my function was to, I was dressed up like a wooden soldier. And I, I, during act two, I stood perfectly still in the guardhouse on stage. It was kind of a living prop because I was the only eight year old with enough discipline to stand there stock still during you know, most right. of the second act. And then we all marched out and did our March of the Wooden Soldiers, you know, choreography. Mm. Uh, so that was that's the first I remembered. And then and the next year was Oliver, which, right. you know, which became which I did. Uh, yeah, I was magical. Not not. No, I wasn't magical. I was uh, <laughs> magical food, glorious. But, you know, right. The thing <laughs> was you jump up on the bench and say your, your adjective and. Yeah, yeah, I did mine like Ethel Merman. It was magical food, <laughs> glorious food, beautiful. Um, nice. Uh, yes, and then and then the coroner and the Wizard of Oz as coroner. I'm a, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so you, you get the idea. But um, right. So that was so that was my first, and again, um, it, it it just felt like home from the first. It's just um, you know being caught in that whirlwind of backstage activity with people wearing unbelievable costumes running back and forth you know as a child it just uh it just it just was hypnotic and i never quite snapped out of it i think um nice. and, uh, <laughs> nice. and uh and my and my it also my heart got broken very early as well because um uh the, the theater was doing the music man mm -hmm. and uh and so i was determined to i was determined to audition for winthrop and i Actually, I had a coach. I had all my lists, and you know, I learned the song, the song Gary, Indiana, and Harris, Francis, York, around. And uh, yeah, it was it was all you know, the, the scene, the song, everything. And then they ended up canceling the show because they couldn't find a coloratura soprano to play Marion. So before I was in double digits, the theater broke my heart, you know, completely. Wow. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so those are the first, and then. Um, you know, and then school plays, of course, and uh, you know, and I, I actually was was sort of headed along that path. I didn't be, I didn't think of becoming a professional musician uh, uh, for for a while until well, church organist uh, happened, and then, um, and then I was called in um, uh, to music direct um, uh, a, a Baltimore production of Sometimes Merrily Roll Along, mm -hmm. the person who they hired. Um, uh, had a family emergency 
Right. And so basically they called me in a, and I guess, again, a lot of us got uh, first jobs this way, right. but uh, yeah, they basically called me in a panic and they don't, don't want to start out on, you know, a difficult Sondheim show. It's like, okay. And I, did. Right. <laughs> I knew nothing about, you know, teaching voice, teaching voice parts, you know, any of that. I just, um, right. And uh, so that was just a matter of like adrenaline, just being, you know, thrown into it and doing it. Right. And, uh, and that was, um, so that was the first. And, uh, and then um, I was, I had just uh, graduated from college at that time and my, and my college had a summer uh, or there was a, a summer theater, which was um, housed at my, you know, my college had this wonderful performing space called mm -hmm. Theater in the Hills. So I, um, so I at first played in the pit and then ended up music directing uh, some of those shows as well. Nice. Yeah. As yeah. well as local Baltimore productions and, and this this was in the '90s. I was I basically I was um, I was like temping during the day, and then I was rushing off to play at, um, and I I very rarely played like you know Oklahoma or Sound of Music or the typical ones. It was always uh, like strange off the wall shows, right. like uh, like uh, Merrily Roll Along. I played for, uh, Ruthless, which is a musical about a homicidal little girl. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, she wants to get into show business, and yeah, she basically Shirley Temple if she went psychotic. Right. And uh, and Wings, which is a musical about a stroke victim, mm. um, and it's a lot of like nonsense, you know, songs and so forth, which is it's very intense and very wonderful. But again, very few people know it. And I and I spent like actually like uh, about six months of my life um, with a show called Pageant. Mm. Have you heard of this one? No. It is, um, it's a beauty pageant musical. The contestants are all played by men mm. and it's, but it's not RuPaul. It's not, you know, they play it as if they were women. And, right. um, and so the preparation beforehand, you, you didn't want to be in the dressing room beforehand. It was like hours <laughs> of, you know, uh, makeup spackled in place and wigs and, right. And so forth and so forth. And, uh, and then the audience chooses the winner every night and they have to decide, you know, there's a, there's a talent contest, there's an evening gown, there's swimsuit. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, it's wow. incredibly wild. And it was, um, and again, the ending is different every night. And we actually had groupies, uh, you know, coming back to see it over and over. Wow. And, um, you know, we had to extend, it ended up playing in four different venues and each time the entire thing sold out and we had to extend same cast. But uh, and the last time we it was in an equity venue because it just kept it, it kept snowballing. It kept becoming so, so popular. Right. So, yes, I spent like a um, yeah a good, good uh, half half a year of my life um, uh, wearing a purple tuxedo accompanying female impersonators. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It makes uh, as much sense as anything, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so this was all in Baltimore, the Sin City, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and I said I had a very, um, had a very sheltered upbringing. Like whenever we went to Baltimore, my uh, uh, my parents would tell you know, my brother and I to you know duck down, and get on the floor of the car in case you know bullets started coming. <laughs> But we would have done. I have no idea. But and of course, that, this was, is, that, was, this that is, was our image of you know of the of any you know big city. Right. Well, and this is before the the show The Wire came out, right? So. <laughs> oh, I know. Or, or well, hum, well, uh, Homicide: Life on the Street was the one that was. Uh, oh yeah. And I, I, yeah, and I kind of resented that show because it was like when I was, because uh, um, I was going to Baltimore at night to rehearse or perform shows and. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, homicide life, life on the street. Their uh, tech crews and so on were taking up all the good parking, oh. so I'd have to park like blocks and blocks away from you know whatever theater I was going to, and then walk ten blocks. Right, pitch dark in Baltimore, and uh, mm. yeah, I was very lucky. Right, but, uh, I appreciate your exposing you know the crime in Baltimore, but you're also contributing to it. Right. So. <laughs> well, let's let's jump ahead a little bit. Let's talk about. You were with the for the Frank Sinatra Review with the Springer Opera House. So, uh, wh where is this? Where's the Springer Opera it House? Is, and uh, here's where we. Yeah, again, I I don't even know how to explain this, but um, okay. the Springer Opera House is in Columbus, Georgia. Oh, okay. It's like a few hours south of Atlanta. It's actually and 
it's it's technically in Georgia. It's directly on the Georgia-Alabama border. If you walk like two blocks yeah. out of the front door, it's, it's of the across from Phoenix City, Alabama. <laughs> it is very yeah, very close to Phoenix City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, it's right down the Chattahoochee River. Right from uh, from Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix City, which was Vegas of the South back mm-hmm. in the right forties and fifties. But um, but no, the Spring Opera. It was built in eighteen seventy, and it's um, it's just a jewel box, you know, opera house. Mm-hmm. Which you know was uh, was I think originally a grocery store, and then uh, Francis Joseph Springer decided the town needed you know culture; it needed uh, an opera house, and hmm. it's in the middle of this you know um, this southern town, which uh, regularly makes lists of the most miserable places to live. <laughs> I, I don't see it right. maybe because I'm in the theater district, and as you know, right. theater districts tend to be more vibrant, and just from yeah. having the theater there, and and the artistic director of the Springer has made that point many times. Right. People talk about arts cuts, but um, but yeah, it's this gorgeous, gorgeous um, theater. And uh, yeah, I just answered an ad on a, a, a jobs board. Uh, they were touring. It was a very small, uh, you know, uh, it was not not even bus and truck. It was a van with a scenery truck, you know, right attached to it, um, and uh, it. It's actually called My Way, the music of Frank Sinatra. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I've, I've I've played that show. I didn't know that's where it was from, though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I mean, it's yes, the same yes. show. So, two, you know, it's, so two men, two women was that the cast? two men, two women uh, yeah. singers. It was me and me and the bassist, and then uh, two uh, two crew members. One lights, one sound, mm. and uh, and we drove and and um, it wasn't very. Conti- it was a whole lot of just going out, doing a couple of dates, and coming back to the Springer. Um, uh, and the, it was highly variable. Um, uh, some, I mean, sometimes it was arts count. It was theaters. Sometimes it was art council type buildings. Sometimes it was high schools. Uh, a fair amount of country clubs, right. which you know is interesting because you end up loading. I remember you know uh, loading flats and scenery up uh, a curved wrought iron staircase. Right. Uh, another time through the kitchen and trying to keep from you know slipping on grease and so mm. forth because they aren't designed to you know for uh for theater productions but um and all yeah all of us were the crew we um you know we loaded in you know to the to the venue loaded out at the end um we were you know sometimes we didn't have dressing rooms um it was it, it was very you know c and d list and you know right. but because of that the places we went were often absolutely um agog to see us like we were the right. most happening thing that had uh, happened that and uh, i'll tell you that you know the ones i remember um there's one called demopolis alabama mm. and uh, this was in like a condemned high school wow uh and the uh or should have been condemned i think and uh <laughs> the, the, i mean the, the staircase we loaded the scenery up almost was like a hill i mean the stairs were so worn it was like walking you know up and down a hill and the theater was incredibly dusty and the, the carpeting it looked like um someone had taken uh, those swatches of carpet that are left over in horrible like you know puce and vomit green and so forth and stitched them together right and um you know the upstairs area looked like um the saw movies had been shot there it was it was just wow. <laughs> we, we went there and saw, you know, one of the singers said uh, is there going to be a show tonight they're just going to lock the doors and murder all of us uh, <laughs> but then it seemed that like everyone in the town came to the show that night it was uh, you know and we got like mad applause as if we were rock stars and uh, it was it was just like that we were the most you know singing you know frank sinatra music in in the deep south we were just the most hip happening thing Right you know, to have come to town, so um, so you, yeah, so you deal with it, you just, and, right? Um, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I but, can't say uh, I know where that part of. I mean, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, Alabama's a, actually it's a pretty big state. It's actually it's a little bigger than North Carolina, but I grew up in in the Panhandle, of Florida, so I was you know right below Alabama, and I know the southern towns pretty well, but above that, I don't really know you know anything other than um, the big cities but yes yes and i remember well i remember being in a high school once and um uh we we, we had no place to dress except um uh the library which mm-hmm. is all glassed in and right. people were coming to see the show they were walking down the hall and we were trying to you know 
in our underwear trying to hide behind the Babar the elephant, you know, uh, <laughs> shelving it. Um, but I, I must tell you that it, I, I did hit absolute bottom on that tour. At least I, I hope it's the worst. Right. Event that I, yeah. But but it makes a good story afterward. I, you know, which is why we do it. It was it was it was a high school, and um, we were greeted by you know a, a woman in with peroxide blonde hair, wearing a pink velour jumpsuit and bare feet and scarlet uh, nail polish and her fingernails and toenails. And we went onto the stage, which was still full of band, you know, like the band had just rehearsed there. So all of their trash and their music stands, we had to clear all that. And it was the most cavernous, depressing high school auditorium (laughs) of all time. You know, wallpaper peeling, uh, chunks of saturated carpet. uh, And it was enormous. It was like a 3,000 seat place. But... Mm. Again, it looked like you know the the Phantom of the Opera would have lived there. It was it was absolutely rotting, and our dressing rooms there were uh, were were the two bathrooms on either side of the stage, so wow. no chairs. You know, all all cramming. You know, look into one mirror, and it was in our rider that we had to have uh, food um, provided for us, but they didn't specify, so they pointed to, uh, to the table and to the uh, there's the uh, uh, the. Uh, candy left over from the band drive for Easter, so have at it. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. and um, and about fifteen people showed up, and they all sat at the at the back of the auditorium of this like three thousand seat, you know, dark auditorium. We couldn't even see them, and we're doing mm. this intimate Frank Sinatra review, right? Uh, yeah, we're yeah. so glad. Yeah, yeah. How is everyone tonight? Everyone, anyone, the, anyone, anywhere? <laughs> right. <laughs> Now was the was the script for the show the same as when I did it? That the uh, well, actually, I don't even know if it was in the script or if we added it. But I had a banter going with woman one the whole time. It's like like we like throughout the show, woman one would say something to me, and I would kind of I don't know give her a little attitude, and then uh, woman two had a crush on me. So it would come <laughs> sit near the piano. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think these were ad libs. I don't think those were all written down. I think it was the director decided for that production to do that. Uh, yeah. Man, too, had a crush on me. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, I mean, it, it is, yeah, it is a very, it's medley banter, medley banter. We, I, we didn't do that back and forth, I think, but, uh, you know, we basically stuck to the script. But, um, right. But, uh, but that night, and then it, well, and then intermission, the um, the two women came running over to us saying, "We just saw two rats the size of porcupines mm. wow. backstage." So we just whipped through the second act as fast as we could. We didn't stop for applause. Then we cut one of the medleys, and then loaded out and drove for our lives as fast as we could afterward. So <laughs> I, <laughs> so again, nice. as I say, I really hope that is the the worst. <laughs> the worst right. experience that I ever have on wow. tour anywhere else. I really hope right. uh, that, 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 well, that is it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> a, a performance of my way is the only time in which the electric keyboard I was playing, the power went out during the show. <laughs> it's the only time that's happened. It's happened Real in rehearsal thing. multiple okay. times, but it's the only time it's, so far it's happened in the show. But uh, they, uh, uh, the cast just ad-libbed it. It's like, oh, come on, Mr. Piano Man. It's like, <laughs> can't just leave us hanging here. So they made it all part of the act, and it was kind of funny. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. Well, so then um, I ended up playing for more of the Springer tours, and they began to expand and get more um, more elaborate. Uh, the, the Patsy Klein show, uh, Route 66, yeah. uh, was another... Um, and uh, and then I started getting hired to just come down and uh, play in the pit for the shows that were done at the theater, you know, on site. Right. And, uh, and then eventually I started um, uh, conducting um, uh, some of those shows as well. And then it became a pretty much constant thing. So I, you know, I never moved down to Georgia, but... Uh, gigantic chunk of my right. directing conducting career has been in Georgia. Right. And it's been, you know, going back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, and at times I've said, you know, you want, do you want me to just move down here and stop, you know, paying to fly me out all the time? But, uh, mm. uh, right. you know, and in between I did other tours and other things, but that, that's been, uh, you know, since 2008, it's been almost you know, pretty much every year 
Hmm. Um, I've I've had you know most of my career in another you know five states away. So right. um, <laughs> uh, well, let's go a long way from Georgia. Let's go to Nebraska next. So you you Nebraska, had you did uh, yeah. Nebraska Theater that, Caravan. Um, Nebraska Theater Caravan. Yes. Um, that is uh, well. I actually got. Um, um, I got my way, the, um, the Frank Sinatra tour. And then the next year I got, um, uh, Christmas Carol, which, um, Nebraska theater caravan has been touring their version of Christmas Carol since 1979. Wow. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, Chuck Jones, uh, the adaptation by Chuck Jones and, oh. uh, and the, um, the music is, is very madrigally. It's you know, Christmas carols, but not the typical ones. There's, um, there's a there's a one in German called Susani, mm. um, and uh, and and then there are some that have got Resty Merry Gentlemen, of course, because it has to be there. But um, and it's just uh, keyboard and three reeds, flute, clarinet, and bassoon, mm. and uh, and then the cast, and it's um, it's wonderful. I mean, it looks it looks like a the sets and the costumes make it look like a Christmas card, and um, uh, we we toured um, up. A, We've toured. When I started, there was an East Coast tour and a Midwest tour, right. and I had always been on the East Coast tour. So it was up and down the East Coast, going as far north, Burlington, Vermont. Right. I think was as far north as we got, and then we always end in Florida, and then um, uh, fly home from there, uh, getting there just in time for Christmas. And uh, Florida was where they especially loved it because they have those you know enormous. Um, theaters there and they have so many people there who have never seen a typical you know christmas with snow right and, right. and so forth what, so, what, what um, towns in florida did you go to um it was always um uh we recently went to the uh, the villages which is that retirement right. community but um uh we've always been to uh to sarasota uh the uh, the king center in melbourne um jacksonville Mm-hmm. And Clearwater. Okay. Generally, generally ending in Clearwater, and then so, um, so Clearwater. I'm gonna go ahead and assume Ruth Eckerd Hall was probably Ruth Eckerd Hall. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I know it. Know it so well. Yeah. I've done that show pretty constantly. Um, I think um, eleven times. Uh, nice. Not not always, you know, year to year, but um, right. And and so I, I have memories of it, but it's I, I couldn't tell you what year you know <laughs> such right. and such happened. It just is all swirls into you know a big blur. Um, now, where is uh, I'm, is it Windwood or Windwood? It's Windwood. Well, so, where is um, Windwood and 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 then you have another one? Is it B A C I Bossy? Um, uh, Windwood. I'm trying to remember what that. It, it's not a. It's not a town. I'm trying to remember how they got that name. I mean, we, we would rehearse in in New York. Um, okay. In Chelsea, at like like Ripley Gray Studios or something, and then. Um, and then that was, uh, yeah, a national tour. Um, yeah, but bus and truck. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah I did, uh, I think, yeah, three of those. And I started out, you know, just in the pit. And then um, for the second one, Seven Brides, I was in the pit. But I ended up having to, ta- I ended up having to take over for the music director because um, he was deaf in one ear. Mm. And um, if the sound system was laid out a certain way, he could not... Like literally, we went into a theater once, and he said, um, "You're," and we were like two weeks into the run, and he said, "Okay, you're conducting today because I, uh, I'll go deaf if I try to conduct in this theater." Wow. And I, I was still learning my part. And they, okay, so, I, <laughs> and again, it's just a matter of just you're you're thrust into it and you do it. Right. Um, but, um, and then uh, the third one was Gentlemen for Blondes that I actually conducted. So, okay. So you know, I, I advanced uh, quickly, but. Um, yeah. The, one, the one I remember most is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers because it had it was the Walking Wounded tour. It had more injuries wow. than uh, you ever because it's a heavy dance show and it's lots of you know jumps and tumbles mm. and so forth. And you know um, we were sometimes on stages that were made out of concrete or that we you know were splintered or right. or something. So um, there was one night we were six brides for Six <laughs> Brothers. Nice. Like, Think both the brother and his understudy had gotten injured, so wow. people were like, you know, making up the spacing, and you know, as, as they went through the show, they were just <laughs> right. 
Nice. And there was another time where the, you know the guy's jumping over the axe. Or if you've seen the movie where he's doing the thing where he's jumping over the axe, right? Um, and it flew out of his hand. Oh, and went into the audience. Now it was rubber, but <laughs> you know an axe flying into the audience does not. <laughs> no, is <laughs> is not a good thing to have happen. No. And uh, but uh, but yes, I think uh, two people ended up leaving the tour, and and they they came back eventually and then one person abandoned the tour i mean he just left and then <laughs> saying he was going to come back and he never did so right it was yeah it was like touring with mash or something it was uh, everyone was like snapping hamstrings or dislocating something or it was it was <laughs> right it was intense, now so. uh, now you said now you know with all these tours that you've done you you've been all over the united states but you've also been to canada so where where some of the things you've done in canada I've only been in Canada um, I, uh, as part of a, a larger tour. I mean, right. and as I mean, um, I think I've been in Kitchener and then one place uh, in Nova Scotia. And it re- literally was a matter of hopping over the border, doing you know a show or two, and hopping right back over the border. Right. And um, uh, sad to say, the thing I remember well, I remember liking Canada um, yeah. you know, a good deal for the, the time I was there, because as you know, on, on tour, it's right. Where am I now? What am I doing? What am I, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, occupied. Um, but um, what I remember most about being in Canada is that uh, when you go into Canada, uh, you know, the Border Patrol is incredibly nice and polite and really? curious about, oh, we, oh you, how, how long are you going to be here for what, for, you know. And then when you're coming back into uh, the States, they're incredibly <laughs> rude. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, unbelievably. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but yeah. It, it, and um, right. And when it happens, you know, the next day, it, it stays in your mind. So right. <laughs> um, oh man. Okay. Um, well, before we leave tours, I gotta. So when you when you introduced yourself to me, uh, you know, two things stood out: the itinerant pianists uh, or itinerant music directors. How you describe yourself? But then you said in 2019. You survived a, a bus crash and a flood. I can't remember which order that was. So yes, uh, I was like, yes. that's okay. Uh-huh. There's a, there's, that's an interesting yes, story. Yes, <laughs> um, well, <laughs> uh, well, I want to I say one more nice touring thing before we, before oh, sure. we leave that. Because you asked about bocce tours. Oh, yes. That was, uh, that was Hedwig. Okay. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, yeah. Yes, which is probably the weirdest show of all time. <laughs> and uh, yes, I wore like Marilyn Manson makeup and were uh like uh <laughs> nice like shiny black leather a vest right. with with the, with the piano keyboard on the lapels and i you know went around punching the air and stuff and basically the opposite of what i actually you know the, the mild person that i actually am <laughs> <Right>. so that's <laughs> that's turned out a great deal in my mind <laughs> and it was very brief but i I'll, I'll never ever ever forget it but now to but to get to yeah 2019 um yeah, it was uh, if it wasn't, it was artistically a, a really wonderful year for me. Mm. But um, personally, uh, well, the Springer, um, I was doing Evita at the Springer. We were in rehearsals, and uh, they were repairing the water main in the city, and there was a breach. And so during the night, um, the basement of the Springer flooded. Mm. So there was lots of equipment uh, that was ruined. Um, they had to turn you know, the power off. Uh, obviously, uh, there were, um, it, it was just, it was unusable. Mm. So, uh, they, they moved us to, um, like, uh, rental property over, or some apartments over the local restaurant and we rehearsed and eventually performed at the local college. So mm. we just moved the whole thing there. And, um, and, um, it was it was horrible because you know I said I've, I've gotten so attached to the Springer it's like my second home and you live in the building right when you're there you actually live on the third floor so mm. and nice. you you literally you open a door and you're looking out on the chandelier right. so you are the Phantom of the Opera when you're there <laughs> right. um, you hardly have have to, have to leave the building except to get food so um, mm. um, so when that happened and it it just it seemed like the, you know there's millions of dollars of damage and is this going to be the end um mm. but um but as as often happens in those cases you know that production of Vita we pulled together and it was absolutely incredible i mean everyone right. you know 
pour themselves into it. And and then later on, I mean, unrelated, but I um, I landed in the hospital for the first time. Mm. Um, it just contributed to it was a nasty case of strep throat, and I think maybe something else. So right. uh, so just contributing to the theme of that year. Right. And then um, I was on uh, my usual Christmas Carol tour, and um, uh, we were we'd had a, like a long drive and it was late at night and the, um, the bus driver fell asleep for a moment and we went off the side of the road. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Off the right side of the road. And so, the, and the bus turned over on its side and slid down the hill. Hmm. Um, I was okay. Um, uh, some people had, um, well, a couple people had concussions. Some people had things like broken ribs, dislocated uh, shoulders, nothing like, incredibly serious thank heavens but it right. was uh, you know and then the rest of that tour you know, was canceled and we all limped home for christmas hmm. and um so that was so that was like <laughs> so the triple disaster yeah. year now as i said the shows i did that year made up for it it was incredible but um right and then 2020 came <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and nothing happened <laughs> and said hold my beer and uh <laughs> And I was uh, I was actually at the spring. We were doing Singing in the Rain um, hmm. in March when that we got we got through one weekend of it before, and then they sent us all home. And um, and uh, the Springer actually just uh, finished their run of Singing. They did it. They completed uh, the other two weeks. Uh, they did it outside with a different cast, and um, so I got to you know see them doing that on through Facebook, which was very bittersweet. I was glad they did it, but. Um, and uh, so I came home and um, you know, to Gettysburg to help my mother through the pandemic and uh, uh, got a job as a hotel night auditor on weekends and then recording virtual services uh, for churches during the week. So that's hmm. how I'm getting by for now. Right. Um, so <laughs> now speaking of Pennsylvania, we, we haven't talked about the Totem Pole Playhouse, I don't think. So, uh, Totem Pole, yes. Yeah. Um, Yes, absolutely magical, magical place. And uh, yeah, let's get out of yeah, 2019 and 2020, please. Because, <laughs> right. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It, now, now where in Pennsylvania is the totem pole? Totem pole is in the Caledonia State Park. It's about uh, 45 minutes north of Gettysburg. Okay. And um, it was uh, like a lot of, it, it's the well, one of the few equity summer stock theaters that is left in this, uh, in this country. Um mm. There are a lot of them that were formed in, uh, you know, the fifties and sixties, right. uh, especially this one. Um, it was founded by Jean Stapleton, Edith okay. Bunker, yeah, and her husband William Putch, and uh, they ran it uh, for quite a while. And um, there are still old pictures in the theater of you know Jean, you know, dressed as a dirt farmer, Jean in glass menagerie, Jean in an evening gown, you know, playing right. every part imaginable, and uh, her children also into the business and sometimes they come back and direct or act, you know, in something or another. Hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, a, uh, yeah, it's just a magical, magical place. Uh, it's, it, you know, a theater out in the woods. And, right. um, um, and so the, you know, the grounds surrounding it, it's, they call it the enchanted forest and I know why, because it's, it's beautiful. And you just get that, you know, feeling of peace when you, when you come into it. And, um, and I, uh, you know, I I had seen shows there, you know, for a while, just from living in Pennsylvania. And uh, my friend Darren uh, is uh, like is kind of the official music director there, and they, they do a mix of plays and generally small review like musicals. And he is um, he's actually the nephew of the Three Stooges, hmm. as you know, Shemp, you know, okay. Howard, and um, and he also performed. And you can see it if you meet him. You know, you can definitely see it. And right. um, and so um, I, I got to music direct the show Forever Plaid at Totem Pole because he was in it. Right. Um, basically. Nice. So, um, and again, just, and just, uh, I'm going to overuse the word magic, I know, but if, right. you, if you perform there, you just know it's, it's just, um, and it was so successful. They, they brought it back for like a, a week. Um, right. Seat. Um, but um, so basically that was, uh, uh, yeah, whenever Darren was um, otherwise occupied or was in one of the shows, I got a chance to music direct it. So um, uh, we we did Ruthless there, which is a two piano show. Um, I, I got to do Drowsy Chaperone there because he played the man in chair. 
Right. And it was one of the few like, you know, big orchestras that because it's a very it's a very small space. Um right. yeah, it's just a marvelous, marvelous place. And it's um it's been in you know, because it's, as you know, everything is in danger now and especially being out in, you know, remote Pennsylvania and having to follow equity rules, it's just gotten harder and harder to keep it going. And um uh a few years ago, it seemed that it was going to have to go to business, but there's there's been a shakeup in management, and uh, and actually the guy who directed Forever Plaid uh, the first time I was there is the new artistic director, and right. he I think has a great idea of you know what the place should be and where yeah. it needs the direction it needs to go in. So I'm I'm very very <laughs> very very psyched about that, and uh, you know, as I said, Darren has continued to work there. He's 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 one of those. <laughs> He's a unicorn. He's one of those people that you just uh, you know, don't forget. And he, he doesn't make a lot out of, you know, being a nephew of comedy royalty. Uh, it just, right. um, <laughs> um, now, well, there are there are a few shows that you can put, you know, singing and acting together uh, in, in, and be a musician. And, and you've even added tap dancing to that. And, and I don't know if this show got brought up on the podcast when I interviewed uh tommy jackson i know that when he he moved to my area hit one of the first things he did in theater was he was in pump boy and dinettes oh, and i don't yes. and i don't think i talked to him about that so t- tell us a little bit about that show uh, and what you yes, got to do that, there was another accident and i sometimes it, it sounds like everything that i've done has has been by accident it, it really right. does sometimes um but i was at uh, a place called uh, millbrook um which is literally a theater in a barn. Um, right. Yes. Uh, you know, it's a small town in, in central Pennsylvania. Um, there's a big post in the center of the playing area that holds up the roof, so you have to incorporate it into the set of whatever right. show you're doing. And uh, Pump Boys, they made it into um, a telephone pole, mm-hmm. and they just ran wires from it out into the audience, and it was, you know, it divided the... Um, but... Um, no, Pump Boys and Dinettes is, it was one of the first, I think, actor-musician shows. It was, um, have you ever seen it or been in it? Or um... I, I haven't. You know, that show came on, so so I did my first show in 2009, and it had a big gap. And then I started doing them nonstop in the fall of 2011. And that show, uh, it came on in the summer of 2011. So like literally, like maybe two productions before I got into things i didn't get us i didn't get to see it mm. well it's about um you know the pump boys are gas station workers right and the Ninettes are a couple of weight and it, it was it was going to be just pump boys originally um, right but just this quartet uh you know of guys um who you know wrote these songs they developed it in clubs and so forth and uh one of them found a gas station uniform and liked it and that's how they decided to become you know pump boys and then um uh, one of the guys was married to uh, Cass Morgan, and she and her friend Deborah Monk were working as cocktail waitresses then. So they said, "Why don't we come on and help, and we'll be the dinettes?" And and so it's about a gas station right next to um, a diner. Right. Uh, and there's it's it's very you know review like there there's a story, but it it's barely there. You know, it's just a lot of like a day in the life of these people and their friendship and how they you know they're. There's a song called Tips. Right. The waitress, right. The sing. There's, um, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I, I sing a song called Far, or, yeah, my character sings a song called Farmer Tan because he, he's right. the chick magnet. Yeah. Right. I didn't say they were supposed to be swift, but, um, right. yeah. He, yeah. I, I was playing the chick magnet on the show. Nice. And, uh, you know, he's asked what his big secret is, how he lures the ladies, and it's his Farmer Tan, apparently. <laughs> yes. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> So that's how it was. It was developed, and it was um, it, it was actually like nominated for best musical against I think Dreamgirls. Wow! Um, yeah, it became this like mini sensation, and then it was being done, you know, all over the country. And right, Deborah Monk, you know, has been you know living on the royalties for quite a while. And uh, uh, but um, but yeah, Milbrook was doing it, and they just didn't have uh, LM as the the character who plays piano and accordion and tap dances. And so all my early training, you know, suddenly came, <laughs> right. you, know, of, you know, of singing and tap dancing and so forth. I suddenly was able to, you know, put it to good use. And, um, but I did not know how to play the accordion. Oh. And it's, uh, so I, uh, they, they had, you know, a prop one. And I, 
I just taught myself, um, I would go to a, a corner of the parking lot as far away from the housing as I could <laughs> and, uh, and taught myself to, because that's not, that's not a pleasant, um, instrument to listen to while you're learning right. uh, to play it. So I, you know, try my utmost not to wake people up. Right. Um, but, um, but yes, you play the accordion, you, you tap dance in bright red tap cowboy boots <laughs> and, um, you, you do, <laughs> Uh, and no one who knew me would would you know automatically think this would be the kind of material I'd be drawn to. But um, right. But I just felt right at home doing it, and um, and it did you know in, in, at a place where you know the, the it was a very rural place where the show is you know in a literal barn. It it went over like hotcakes. They they loved it. Um, and the next year at my uh, uh, theater on the hill, which was my. Um, you know, sort of home in Maryland, that summer theater. Right. I uh, I played LM again, but I also directed and choreographed. Um, it normally is directed by someone who's in it. Um, it right. normally isn't, yeah, because it is such a you know you you, you do everything in it. You sing and dance, and every, you know every orchestra every rehearsal is an orchestra rehearsal. And then just a couple of years ago, I did it again at probably the most remote theater I've ever played at. Hmm. It's called Myers Dinner Theater in Hillsborough, Indiana, and the town looks like the set for Pump Boys and Dinettes. Oh. There's the there's literally there's a diner, there's a gas station, <laughs> there's um, a couple of shuttered, you know, uh, and then right. there's the theater. Right. Uh, and it look it looks like a Hollywood backlot. It looks like you know it was right. invented, uh, you know, and it, it it's as remote as as you could. I mean, it's supposedly population six hundred. I never saw more than you know 30 people in one place right um, but uh you know if you wanted to do you know character study about <laughs> right. the denizens of this kind of town you could just go right down the street to the right. Um, nice. so uh so yeah i felt like i was doing a documentary um but um but again you know absolutely and and i said i, I performed in alaska this was <laughs> this felt more remote than alaska wow um, <laughs> Um, okay, I guess just let's just talk about one last thing. Uh, tell us about the Lost Gene Kelly musical. Lost Gene Kelly. Okay, it's um, a musical that I'm writing, I, and I know um, uh, most music directors that I know are working on a musical. Are you by any chance? <laughs> uh, I, I am an arranger of a musical, and actually okay. might be taking up a second one soon. So <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, it, it, I'll, I'll tell you the the backstory is a little convoluted, but uh, the the format is it's in now, and I actually just finished major revisions on it a couple nights ago. Right, I have like one I have like one song to rewrite. I wrote book and lyrics, so I did not write music. Mm. Um, but uh, the the idea of it is that uh, Gene Kelly, mm -hmm. the film musical star, um, he wanted desperately to do a movie musical version of. Cyrano de Bergerac, mm. the French play Cyrano de Bergerac, because that was he grew up watching Errol Flynn and Douglas Fairbanks, the great swashbucklers. It's why he became a movie star, and it's why he did the movie Three Musketeers because he was like five seven, and he wanted to show that he could you know sword fight and be dashing and right so forth. So, um, but he never got to do this um, this movie. They they basically told him that you know we've we worked so hard making you a sex symbol. You put a false nose on and your career's going to be over. Right. So, but this show, uh, I basically imagine, well, what would it, what would that have been like if it had happened? Or not if it had happened, but basically uh, it's 1948 and Gene Kelly and Compton and Green and the Nicholas brothers uh, invade L.B. Mayer's office and they pitch this movie musical of Cyrano to him and they act it out for him in mm. his office. Right. And uh, yeah. Nice. And so it's so it's so you know it's the lost Gene Kelly musical because it never happened, but it's sort of a look at what it might have been. Right. And it also looks at uh, you know old Hollywood and. And what, I you know. and I guess the music would. I'm just going to assume it would sound like it came from like outtakes of Singing in the Rain or like maybe the same type of team maybe or. Sort of well, yeah. and this is. <laughs> And again, I don't know how much time you have left, but this is right. the way the way it came to be was I um, like late 80s. I met, uh, you know, another again, I, I met a remarkable person. I keep saying that I met a unicorn named um, Ivan Sherman, mm -hmm. uh, 
he was a self-described uh, nice Jewish boy from uh, from Brooklyn, and uh, we did, we did a dinner theater production of Gypsy together. Right. And this is the late '80s. He was in the '60s at the time, and he had done what the old musicals tell us to do. He had like in his youth, he had gone to New York and tried to make it on Broadway, and he played in the original pit of West Side Story. Right. And um, he also played for unfortunate things like the disastrous stage musical version of Lolita. Right. By Alan J. Lerner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Who was not a nice person. Yeah. And, and uh, I, he was full of stories about that time, of course. I learned, you know, from him that you know, Cheetah Rivera is a sweetheart. Alan mm-hmm. J. Lerner was not. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> things like that. Right. It was marvelous to talk to. And he, he had always wanted to do just a stage musical version of Cyrano. Hmm. just just that just and right and so he asked me if i wanted to try book and lyrics and we worked on it off and on for about like 15 16 years i mean the uh i was starting to travel and trying to make a career he had retired and well retired from showbiz was still playing locally but had become a tax attorney so we'd get together every few years and compare notes and um and then in 2008 we workshopped it at my old uh, college and it went over i think pretty well but we couldn't take it any further because there are so many, so many people have tried to make just stage music versions of Cyrano. Uh, Christopher Plummer tried in the 60s. Uh, Frank Wildhorn tried. There have been so, so many versions and producers mm. don't want to hear about it anymore. And uh, since that time, um, you know, Ivan passed away. Right. I sort of put it in the back burner. And then I you know, heard about the, and then I got the idea, well, why not, why not make it about, <laughs> you know, Gene Kelly's desire to, you know, so still using Ivan's moment, and Ivan was writing in the sort of, you know, old 40s Hollywood Broadway style anyway. Right. So I could still use our material, but, you know, make it the story of, of how you know, this musical couldn't have made it anyway. So right. incorporate that into it. Um, and I just, um, so, you know, I, I, so I revamped it and, uh, uh, back in, in December, I had, um, I had a Zoom reading of several friends of mine. I just um, uh, got to do a, uh, uh, a Zoom reading. Mm. And, I've, uh, and I incorporated you know, their feedback. And now I've gotten it, I think, into, you know, as I have one song to, uh, to revise. But, um, you know, if you, if, when we come out of COVID, if you know anyone who is looking to workshop, you know, new musicals, then I'm, I'm right. ready to go. So, so that's what that is. I hope that I hope that makes sense. But um, well, that sounds fascinating. I, I hope that um, uh, gets some gets some legs and, and I, does yeah, some I do hope so. I do hope so because because uh, it's been a lot. I mean, I've been working on it in some form since the late eighties. So right. I would hate for that to, you know, well, not I, result in something. So <laughs> I think with some better planning, this could this could have been a two part episode you you've had such a full life and i and, I've, and I can tell that we we've only scratched the surface on the stories um well I, um i mean one thing i've noticed is that oh and maybe this is true of almost every theater story we tell is about some comically horrifying disaster right i mean those and have you noticed that i mean the, those are the right. things that stay in our mind and what people want to hear no one wants to hear you know the well the show went well we had a standing ovation everyone loved it and yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the time the set came down on your head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I guess last thing is, uh, and you know, not everybody does, so I didn't ask you in advance. But um, do you have a, a website or any, or do you have a any any place I do, you'd like I to do share? Not. I'm very, I'm very low tech. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not on Twitter or Instagram simply because I'm. <laughs> I don't want anyone to find out how dull I really am. I mean, <laughs> Uh, yes. The last hour, notwithstanding, I, I, I'm going to give you an impression, but you know, my days are like, am I going to, you know, read um, in the living room or read and or practice here or write here? Yeah, it's. <laughs> no, I, I think if yeah. anyone listens to, to this episode and comes comes away with the impression that you're dull, I I, I don't know what fun episode they're waiting for in life in the pit. So. Oh my! Yes. Um, <laughs> well, anyways, thank you for uh, sharing just a, a few of your stories. Uh, that thank has you. been mu- very, very entertaining. And that wraps up episode number forty-seven. 
um, if at the beginning of that conversation it sounded like we just jumped in, uh, there was about maybe six or seven minutes of conversation that, that I had to cut for the sake of time. But it was all about books, where both of us loved to read, and um, we, we, were, we went down kind of a big rabbit hole uh, inspired by a Facebook series that he had in March, and it was uh, based on Women's History Month, and it was uh, female authors, and we just, we, we talked for quite a bit about that. Um, so many great things that I wish, you know, this was kind of a format where we did an hour and a half, two hour episodes like some other podcasts. Uh, but I feel like trying to keep it as close to an hour is best for this podcast. Um, fun episode coming up next week. We are headed, we are going to be talking about Cirque du Soleil. So check that out next Friday. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, special thanks to Mark Perillo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about the podcast, leave feedback, or leave a donation at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app And please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.